Rico. And I'm Jessica. And this is the Always the Critic podcast where a couple of friends review the latest movies, except we literally have zero qualifications to do so. Jessica, how are you hey. doing? I'm good. I had a very interesting day today. I uh, watched Xenon Girl of the 21st Century, <laughs> which uh, was an experience coming back to that DCOM, uh, as well as a little bit of Hercules. And uh, I watched a, a recap video of uh, one of the films that we might discuss today. And like, I kind of was like looking over my shoulder because it was a really scary uh, sci-fi movie. So um, yeah, that was a uh, pretty, pretty perfect interesting and uh calm day today oh there you go uh i actually spent uh two nights ago re-watching a movie that fits into our genre so let's not dance around it too much now uh <laughs> today we are continuing our series called summer superlatives so each week what we're going to be doing is we're going to be talking about a movie genre like action superheroes or comedies and discuss the reason why they play such a big role during the summer now uh, then we're going to have some fun and we're going to give out superlatives and the reason why we chose our selections. So for this particular episode, we are doing sci-fi. And joining us today is from the Piecing It Together podcast. It is David Rosen. Hey, guys. How's it going? Thanks so much for having me. We're so excited for you to be here. I love your podcast and I love how you just like break down everything and you're like, I think it's from this movie derives from this movie and it's inspired by this. And I saw a little bit of this in here and I like appreciate that so much because we do that without thinking. And then for you to articulate it so well, I'm like, yes, yes. Keep going (laughs) with with what you're doing. Also, Rico's like been on your show a couple of times and that's been fun too. Yeah. When are we going to get you on? When would you have me? I'm available, okay? Anytime, anytime. I'd love to have you on sometime. (laughs) Yeah, it's a lot of fun being on the show just because of the fact that, like Jessica was saying, you are basically putting together movies, uh, depending on what movie we're talking about, and taking pieces from other movies. So, for example, uh, the last episode I was on, we were talking about Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Mm -hmm. And we were talking about, well, what other movies kind of make up that movie? You brought up Speed Racer because of the hyper-stylized version of the movie. Absolutely. Um, And, you know, I brought it from another end. I brought in that he was an obsessive type of person (laughs) over a girl. So I brought in 500 Days of Summer. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, like, two completely different movies. But, you know, puzzle pieces that make up a movie. So, uh, now... uh, David, the reason why we wanted to bring you on is because I've I've listened to you on your show and I've I've heard you talk about science fiction movies and mm-hmm. I think it's a genre that you like unless I, I'm completely wrong there. Well, I like sci-fi as an overall thing when it kind of bleeds into other genres and mm-hmm. when it's done in interesting ways. I've never been that big of a fan of the main series. Like, I'm not a Star Wars guy. I'm not a Star Trek guy. Mm. But okay. sci-fi as a whole, though, I do really enjoy. Right. Right. Okay. And, and that's I think, totally fair. Yeah, that's totally fair. I think that a lot of the movies that we'll be discussing today aren't necessarily, like, the huge franchise, like, where they have multiple sequels or anything. And, mm. like you were saying, they kind of bleed into their own you know other genres so it's not just specifically sci-fi sometimes it's like sci-fi action or sci-fi comedy so Mm -hmm. now 
Uh, Jessica, I'll start with you on this question. Um, why do you think it is that, especially during the summer, mm-hmm. that sci-fi has so many big blockbusters that have come out and people have seen so much? Why okay, do you so think I that totally, th- I totally think it's a money thing because um, <laughs> sci-fi really historically has not been a summer movie phenomenon. Like I think that you know the tentpole. Th- sci-fi movies that we look back on as kind of pillars like you know planet of the apes from 1968 that was released in march and Mm. 2001 a space odyssey was released in april like these weren't very like blockbuster type affairs like we think of today when you see a summer release you see the big trailers dropping in super bowls you know commercials and things like that like these movies were not that and to have the genre kind of go after the big money and the big crowds it kind of happened because star wars was released in may 1977 and it totally like obliterated at the box office and everyone showed out for this tiny indie film that kind of just warmed its way into pop culture and the zeitgeist as we know it. So, I mean, directly after that, you had stuff like Alien coming out in May 25th, 1979. And May 25th is the exact same day that Star Wars came out. So like, I see already a pattern where, you know, or it's rather early in the season, but you know, sci-fi is kind of taking its taking root, right, in the in the summer season and going after, you know, the people that are already there, that are out of school, the kids out of school, the parents, you know, want some AC instead of going to the beach, um, and what have you. So that that's why I think. Right. So uh, obviously they they could see the bunny, and they yeah. see <laughs> what Jaws did in seventy five. They see what Star Wars did in seventy seven. And Alien in 79. So you see a pattern of other studios mm-hmm. doing that thing. Now, let's talk about like the actual components of what what exactly makes up sci-fi, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what are some of the typical things we see in a, in a sci-fi movie? Like Aliens is one, one thing yeah. that we see. Yeah. Uh, we'll see just things that are set in the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, with, yeah. you know, like some uh, crazy thing. Why do you think that appeals to people? And maybe I can ask uh, David this. I think um, I think part of it, I mean, to speak to the money aspect, you know, the old saying, like, you got to spend money to make money, kind of. I mm-hmm. think that they, they throw all this money at these big effects, which, I mean, the more heavy a film goes into sci-fi, the more room there is for spending that money. Like if the movie is set, you know, you know, more in the modern world or anything like that, it, there's really nowhere to put that kind of crazy money that they seem to think is going to then uh, bring in the box office because of it. But uh, I, I think, though, it also has to do with just the fact that summer ever since those movies you mentioned, like Jaws and, and, and Alien and all that, it's just the idea of going big has just kind of become the major focus for, you know, what makes a summer blockbuster. And I think even in series that aren't necessarily sci-fi, something like uh, a Mission Impossible or something like that, it's still all about going as big as they can possibly go every year. I actually like that thought of 
you have to put your money in somewhere and in sci-fi it it lends itself to that because yeah. of the fact that you can create a brand new world mm-hmm. a world that doesn't exist where we are today so you you come up with concepts like oh here is a ship that these you know people fly in here is the new cityscape that they fly into it's not your normal earth uh makes a lot of sense um people want to see what they haven't seen before yeah, yeah. And, and i think i want to jump off that because you said they want to see what they haven't seen before before we could see and ha- had this medium this visual medium people were listening to the radio and they were reading the books and you had you know the 1938 war of the worlds radio drama which like dropped and like was crazy back then and people thought there was a real alien invasion and all that like people were hungry for this content that was extremely um visionary without the, and there st- was still was like no visual <laughs> no visual component <laughs> to it so um you know i think it's just transcended into the new medium of of television and movies and until there was those big budgets and those big returns they weren't being released in the summer and so now it's common to see at least one or two uh, sci-fi movies drop in the summer and uh they usually you know alien zombies um futuristic societies and um all sorts of things like that right so there's a lot of movies to talk about there's a lot of things that we can mention we have our superlatives uh that we can go through and i think that'll you know give us more room to talk about different things here so with that said let's go ahead and let's talk about our superlatives and i'm gonna ask the first question here what is the most iconic movie in this genre for a summer season and i'm gonna start with jessica on this one uh what is the most iconic movie from this genre in this time period um i'm gonna go with back to the future Um, Mm. I think that, uh, back to the future has a lot of things going for it. It's extremely quotable. Uh, it's got a distinctive look and feel. It goes back to like the glory days of the 1950s and it's got also the glory days of the eighties. And you also, you have the freaking DeLorean, which they (laughs) turned into a freaking time machine. And you had this outlandish, um, doc, doc Brown, and Michael J. Fox was just an icon himself from the from the 80s. And it is a journey and an experience extremely fun and memorable. So I choose Back to the Future. It's a great choice. It's an iconic movie. Um, we are coming on to the 40, no, 35th anniversary. Yeah, 35th anniversary in a couple weeks, which is crazy that that movie's already 35 years old. Uh, David, do you have a different movie for most iconic movie? Well, I think that's a great pick, uh, but I am going to go with Jurassic Park. How fast are they? Well, we clocked the T Rex at 32 miles an hour. T Rex? Mm hmm. You said you've got a T-Rex? Uh-huh. Say again. <laughs> we have a T-Rex. Wow. Put your, put your head between your knees. <laughs> Dr. Grant, my dear Dr. Sattler, welcome 
to Jurassic Park. I think that Steven Spielberg basically (laughs) uh, started the whole thing with Jaws, but I really... As, as classic as Jaws is, I it, maybe it's partially because of when I grew up, but I feel like he perfected it with Jurassic Park. I think it's it's the perfect summer movie, the perfect blockbuster, and it you know we talked about how sci-fi kind of bleeds into so many different genres. I think it just kind of it, it permeates Jurassic Park all throughout, even while it's really mainly like you know an adventure movie, I guess in a way. Mm-hmm. But uh, but it it's it's sci-fi to its core, though. Absolutely. Totally. I, I uh, I read the book before. Well, not before, but after you know seeing the movie, and I read read it as a teenager. And that book is extremely scientific. Yeah. Um, focuses way more on the uh, genetics and the uh, technology behind the dinosaurs. And the movie does touch on it, but really, it's it's more about the characters and the dinosaurs and the visuals and all well, we that, get the great so. animated part which is fun yeah, we get to learn yeah. a lot there so. <laughs> yes <laughs> mr dna is a is a staple oh my goodness oh yeah now uh both great choices i'm actually going with a different movie uh than the two of you and i'm going to go with alien uh, yes alien is uh, an amazing movie. It is, it's a sci-fi movie, but at its core, it's a horror movie. Uh, just mm-hmm. because of the fact that it is uh, a scary alien, which they don't see for most of the movie, but it's hunting them down in a confined space. And you know the elements of traveling to space that that's a huge component, and then dealing with aliens, which is another huge component of the sci-fi genre, and. You have just an amazing character in Ripley. Ripley is an amazing character to follow. Um, she does follow the trope of the final girl that we see in horror movies. Uh, so, <laughs> yes. you know, again, the bleeding of the genre. So sci-fi horror doing an amazing job there. So that's why I picked Alien. Just a combination of all these different things coming together and making such an iconic movie. So mm-hmm. three great movies three amazing choices um i'm gonna just yeah go ahead something something really interesting i think about our three picks and i'm sure that we're gonna all have some sequels throughout our conversation like mixed in here and there uh but for the fact that that's talking about iconic movies i just think it's interesting that we all picked first ones in series yes yeah uh because i i wonder if it's because I wouldn't say you get diminishing returns, but I think it's because the first time you see these movies, they have the original concept. Right. It's something you haven't seen before. And so the sequels are always, you know, just building off of what came before. So Absolutely. So I, I think that's maybe why we chose the originals. That could be, or they're just amazing movies and kick-ass movies. So. <laughs> For sure. So a couple of things like that. So... Uh, The next question I will go with, I'm going to jump into different superlatives. So, like, I'll jump around here and there. Um, Okay. Let's do the scariest alien because a lot of movies deal with aliens. So, uh, I'll start with David this time. What is the scariest alien in any of these movies? So, I told you that some of my answers are a little bit on the loose side. 
<laughs> this isn't really an alien per se, but it is a sci-fi movie, and it did. I I didn't realize it, but it did come out in the summer, uh, and I think it made a fair amount of money. Uh, but I guess it would be Sam Neill after he's gone through a black hole to hell oh, in oh Event my God. Horizon. Wow. Yes. <laughs> oh my God! You definitely got me on that one. Well, as soon as you said Sam Neill, I was like, shit. Yes. Yes. That <laughs> yeah, that that haunted my nightmares for many, oh many years. Oh my god. And that Ooh. freaking movie, I I know it's corny, I know it's silly, but it is so scary. scary. It's scary. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> and it's a movie that you, sometimes you don't even remember because a, a lot of people, the people who do remember it, usually think it's kind of cheesy or something, but right. you cannot say that it's not scary in certain moments especially when they're going down and it's, in all yeah. moments yeah i don't know where those <laughs> images come from what what broken mind thinks of that uh because those, so those images are just so disturbing yeah, oh. Oof. yeah, yeah. I, no when he says like i'm home oh god oh. <laughs> <laughs> just Bye. creeps you out Bye. oh man uh so I like my jessica what is your okay. choice well, I went with the Xenomorph from Alien. Yep, you and I um, have the same they, one. You know, they, yeah, they do it so brilliantly. It's a freaking guy in a suit, but uh, you don't really feel that uh, in the first movie. It's really uh, deliberate how they reveal parts of him, and uh, ugh, it's scary. It's disgusting. Um, I will never forget if you're if you're from Orlando or if you've been on the great movie ride and they you pass in the through the Nostromo on that ride <laughs> and the freaking and you get stuck underneath the alien or um you know when the when it starts to turn on or whatever the timer um geez it is terrifying it so. is uh, a moment that I remember is when uh the guy he's like trying to get the kitty cat to come out oh, from God, the cat. behind the little <laughs> pillar and then the xenomorph is just right behind the guy and that is creepy scary as hell uh yeah yeah i mean it's there it's iconic <laughs> for a reason because it's scary yeah, that's right it's so scary so uh scary aliens usually we're dealing with space or we're just dealing with how to get to space so i was very close i just want to pause and say i was very close to saying mac from mac and me <laughs> also scary also, also iconic scary. have you ever have you ever seen paul rudd his clips on conan <laughs> oh yeah absolutely fantastic oh, oh so good so, so the good committal. uh let's uh let's talk about some vehicles or uh what's the aircraft or the spaceship or vehicle that you would love to pilot uh We've seen so many in all of these movies, so I'll start with Jessica this time. Jessica. Okay. What's a vehicle? Yeah, Millennium Falcon. Ah, there it is. <laughs> I knew it. Next question. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, yeah, uh, what can you say? Uh, Millennium Falcon sounds like uh, a friggin' awesome name for any ship, and uh, that friggin' flying saucer, I swear to God, it is the coolest ship, spaceship ever. Uh, piloted by the most iconic characters ever and man if i could just replace chewy for like a second like that would be fantastic <laughs> that that would be pretty fun hey i knew the millennium falcon was gonna get mentioned by someone 
so I didn't go with it. So, but someone was going to mention it. Uh, David, oh, yeah. what about your choice? Um, not the Event Horizon. <laughs> uh, no, but I, I, I don't, I don't really have a good answer for this one. I am not like a, uh, I, I'm not much of a thrill junkie, you know. Like mm. I, I just, I, I miss going to the movies, and I'm sure there's probably a spaceship that has a movie theater on it, and I want to go to a movie uh, so bad right now. So if there's a uh, movie that came out in the summer that has a spaceship with a movie theater on it, uh, write in and let me know, and that's my pick. <laughs> gotcha. I'm trying to think. I don't think. Practical. Well, maybe if you'd got like a, like if you could ride a transformer or something, and they had a screen or something. I could see something like that happening, or maybe like that that planet they go to in Guardians of the Galaxy or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, something like that. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, for my choice, um, a lot of people grow up with Star Wars, of course. Um, I, so did I, but I also grew up with Star Trek. Uh, that's mm. something that me and my dad kind of shared together. So in 2009, when the reboot came out, the USS Enterprise, that is just a classic ship. Uh, being able to be in the cockpit, not even as the captain, just as like the pilot, to be able to turn it on and to be able to go into light speed would be amazing. I I just love the design of that ship. It, it's not, it d- doesn't really make sense that it should work because it's like a disc <laughs> with a V behind it. It doesn't really make sense, but it's beautifully designed. And I would just love to be in the cockpit for that one. So that is my choice. Nice. The USS Enterprise. Okay. Nice. I nearly chose like the jetpack from the Rocketeer. Oh, wow. That was like a clo- yeah, that was like a close second for me, but I figured it would be better to have like some sort of exoskeleton <laughs> on you <laughs> for safety purposes. <laughs> yes, it would. Now, um, let me go into our general questions here, and we'll take these two back to back. Uh, what is the best line in one of these movies, and, and of course, why? Uh, so, David, I'll start with you. Uh, what's the best line in one of these movies or maybe the most memorable line for you? So I'm basically going to go with a take your pick uh, kind of thing with this one <laughs> for something from Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Ah. Uh, all, all the Arnold lines. I mean, the easy one would be to go with I'll be back. But I mean, there's just so many great lines in that movie. And it's. I mean, it's so memorable. Everything in that is so damn memorable. I was I was actually rewatching it recently. It was one of the first things I watched on my new TV, and it was just like line after line after line that all just stay with you, you know? <laughs> yes. Nice. Uh, yeah, don't tell Jessica that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you've heard. Um, I can't stay awake to save my life uh, to get through Terminator oh, 2 no. Judgment Day. Yeah, I know. I it's, a, it's an legitimately... ongoing battle I have with her. Oh no! I, I I don't get it. I get it. I get everyone else's fascination and appreciation um, for the movie. I just I can't get behind it. So I'm oh. I'm with you, David. I'm sorry. I think Terminator Two <laughs> is one of the greatest sequels of all time. It's two against one here. Yes, exactly. I get it. It's really the world against me because I'm such, in, in such the minority here. But whatever. Um. Speaking of minority, thank you for that transition, because I'm going to go ahead and give my line. Mine is a little off the beaten path here. It's not 
one of the most memorable lines, but it is an amazing line in the movie. And it is from the movie Minority Report by Steven oh. Spielberg. And it is when uh, John Anderton by Tom Cruise, he is investigating and trying to search for more clues. And he's down in the jail cell of all these people. And the per- the warden tells him, careful, chief, dig up the past and all you get is dirty. And it is an amazing line in the context of the movie because if he does something in that movie, it completely changes what happens to the program that they're doing, the Mm. precog system. I think that movie is amazing, and I don't think it gets talked about enough. In the- I agree. I don't agree with the line, but I'm going to make up for it. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> I think the best line is actually a speech made by President Thomas is. Whitmore from a little yeah. movie called Independence Day. Um, that speech is amazing. Good morning. In less than an hour, aircraft from here will join others from around the world. And you will be launching the largest aerial battle in the history of mankind. Mankind, that word should have new meaning for all of us today. We can't be consumed by our petty differences anymore. We will be united in our common interest. Perhaps it's fate that today is the 4th of July. And you will once again be fighting for our freedom. Not from tyranny, oppression, or persecution. But from annihilation. We're fighting for our right to live. To exist. And should we win the day, the 4th of July will no longer be known as an American holiday. But as the day when the world declared in one voice, we will not go quietly into the night. We will not vanish without a fight. We're going to live on. We're going to survive. Today, we celebrate our Independence Day. Makes me want to kill aliens and uh, fight in jet planes and all that. Uh, my God, you just won me, me back, Jessica. I'm, I'm on. I'm on your <laughs> team now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That whole speech just in my veins. Yeah, right now. Like you're, you're ready to go. You're ready to go yeah. when he, it's when he best. finishes it off. Yes. So good. It really Ugh. is. So uh, <laughs> now let's uh, flip the coin. And let's go with the movie with the worst line. And um, again, this is open to interpretation. It could be just a bad line or it's bad in context or just doesn't make sense. Whatever you want. Jessica, you want to start us off on this one? Yeah. So it's also from the same movie. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I think that when um, Will Smith freaking punches the alien and then says... Welcome, Welcome to, to Earth. Earth. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I I just can't allow that. That is so bad. It's so <laughs> oh cheesy. It That's is... the most '90s line ever. Oh, I know God. it really leave is. Leave it at the door, Will. Oh, leave it at the door. Oh my goodness. <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I totally it. understand the pick for sure. Uh, David, how about you? So I was almost going to go with something from Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker. But then I remember that came out Christmas time. <laughs> yeah. so December. Disqualified. Yeah. Uh, so I'm instead going to go with Transformers Revenge of the Fallen when John Turturro says, I'm directly below the enemy scrotum. Oof. <gasps> Oof. That's a bad line. That's a bad line. Oof. Oh, no. Who allowed that? Who said... You- that's There's okay. so many bad lines in those movies. <laughs> oh, it's unbelievable. Totally that was the worst one I could find. Yeah, that that's a really bad one. Uh, I there is a there is a conversation to be had, and I think we're gonna have that in our sequel uh, episode, which will be in a few weeks. But basically, the franchise that just took a downward <laughs> spiral as it kept going. So that's a very uh, good oh, contender yeah. right there. Yes, uh, my choice. <laughs> Uh, comes from an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. It oh, is no. from Total Recall. <gasps> and, oh, I thought you were going to go with something else. No. Uh, and it's in reference to the woman with three breasts. Um, <laughs> it's a character talking about her. And the line is, baby, you make me wish I had three hands. And it's oh, such no. a lascivious <laughs> line. And just, it it's... If you hear it out of context, it may, it's weird. And it, when you watch it in the movie, it's just like creepy as hell. So like that line oh, to me no. just kind of like sticks there and it's like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm good. It's a problem. Someone got, pay- someone got paid so much for that line. Yeah, they did. <laughs> and and the, the thing is that people remember that line and think, oh, that's funny. Huh? And I'm just sitting there like, ooh, no, that's oh. not. <laughs> So much head shaking going on right now. There is. There's a lot of head shaking going on. If you can see us right now. (laughs) All right. So um, something that happens in a lot of these sci-fi movies, usually one of the characters gets it really, really bad. And so we're going to talk about the worst character death. Who gets it the worst? And we'll start with David. Who gets it the worst when they die? I went with for this one uh there there's a lot of great just just awful shark deaths in summer blockbuster movies i'm gonna go with samuel jackson and deep blue oh yes that's a great one (laughs) now you've seen how bad things can get and how quick they can get that way well they can get a whole lot worse so we're not going to fight anymore we're going to pull together and we're going to find a way to get out of here. First, we're going to seal off this. Oh, shit. Oh, that's a great I love thing. that one. <laughs> oh, oh, what's great about that one, one is that he's in the middle of like talking to them and mm-hmm. just like in impassioned speech. And then out of nowhere, that shark just comes and takes him. Oh, <laughs> great choice. <laughs> love it. Love that's it. That's great. That is really. That oh, is. Man. All right. Now I wish I had chosen it. <laughs> I know. Like, that is such a great choice. Uh, Jessica, what is your choice? I picked Rue from The Hunger Games because um, it's extremely emotional. And I'm one of the people that watched the movie after having read, like, the series up to that point. And I already knew it was coming. And I was still, like, wrecked by it. So I chose Rue. 
yeah. pretty mild compared to Sam Jackson. Right. It's mild <laughs> compared to Sam Jackson. And it also is kind of mild compared to mine as well. <laughs> I I had to choose it. It's from Alien. It's the chestburster scene. Uh, yeah. Just imagine awesome. having an alien like tearing its way through your body as it's trying to rip out from it. Yeah, I I can't imagine a worse way to go out because you're you're in pain and you're feeling all of it as you're gonna. But die. I love I just love their reactions and I I remember reading somewhere that they had no idea that it was going to happen then or they, they the crew and the director kind of kept it a secret from the actors really? and so when the thing busts out of his chest they're that's our genuine reaction they're like oh my god oh, wow. <laughs> like just genuine shock so i think that makes me appreciate that scene more because they just had no clue they didn't know this creature was like, gonna like pop out so yeah it's, it's truly it's, one of the best scenes ever in any movie. Oh, it really man. is. It is it, really disgusting. Yeah. It really um, sets the stakes for the movie as well. It does. And then like when it runs off, they're just like, what, <laughs> what now? Like, <laughs> it's just like, okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. It, it's, it's such an iconic moment and it's just a terrible way to go out. Oof. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Uh, with that said, uh, let's go ahead and let's talk about um, some of the gadgets and some of the different things that we see in these sci-fi movies. So, Jessica, I'll start with you. What's the best okay. weapon or defense or gadget that you see in one of these movies? Okay, so I had a few choices, and I I nearly went with just a lightsaber. Mm. Um. But I ended up with the flamethrower from Alien, so <laughs> <laughs> convenient. We just talked about Alien. Um, I think it's such an aggressive uh, weapon mm. uh, to use heat and fire, and for her to just like carry that shit around as protection, like her only form of protection. So uh, I quite enjoy her, uh, Ellen Ripley, just lighten up the Nostromo. <laughs> It's it's a good one, uh, for sure. Great weapon, by the way. Great weapon. Yeah. Uh, David, how about you? So, this is something I totally didn't realize was a summer movie until I looked it up. Uh, but I I went with space balls, and uh, when they fast forward the movie uh, in order to to see what's gonna happen, uh, I think that is fantastic. It's just one of the funniest like gags ever, and I think it, it think it counts as as a space gadget. Yeah, it counts sure. as a space sure. gadget exactly. <laughs> That's, I totally forgot about space balls in this discussion. That is a great pull. That is a great pull. <laughs> so mine actually, I find it to be. Very useful in real life if you want to make people forget about stuff, and that is the Neuralizer in Men in Black. This is called a Neuralizer. It's a gift from some friends from out of town. This red eye here will isolate the electronic impulses in your brains, and more specifically the ones for memory. What in the hell is going on? Excellent question. And the answer you're looking for lies right here. Who are you? Really? Really? I am just a figment of your imagination. Just, yes, throw on those sunglasses and make people forget what just happened. Uh, Imagine using that in real life. That would be amazing. If you could just look here for a second. (laughs) Yeah, right here. Uh, 
Uh, so that I almost chose um almost chose the hat from the adjustment bureau. Oh oh my goodness! Like they use That's the hats right. and then they just mm-hmm. open different doors and it takes them all all around. Like it's pretty epic. I almost chose that, but it didn't seem gadgety enough. No, I, I see what you're saying, but I mean it technically is like a gadget because without it they can't use the doors. To, yeah, to yeah. travel to different spots in New York. <laughs> so random, but yeah, the adjustment bureau. Very random pull there. Mm-hmm. All right, so uh let's go ahead and let's talk about the best score. Uh you know, musically, David, I mean this is a category that I think you'll enjoy. Uh, for those oh, yeah. who don't know, uh, David does create music, uh, so that mm-hmm. is his side project. Um, so you can even talk about it later on, you know, at, towards the end of the show, of course. Uh, but what is the best score from any movie? So this is, yeah, you're right. It's a very difficult one for me to narrow down, but I wanted to go with one that I think doesn't get enough appreciation and it is from just a just a few years ago. It's uh, Michael Giacchino's score for War for the Planet of the Apes, mm. which oh. I think is one of the best scores of the previous decade. Um, and it it just it does so many interesting things. It it sets such a tone for what is really a very strange movie when it comes to <laughs> like Hollywood blockbusters. That movie has got to be like one of the weirdest blockbusters ever. And it uh, it really helps set the tone in such a way by being a big, epic Hollywood score, but also uh, incorporating all kinds of like newer uh, kind of elements to the score, as well as elements from other genres as well. And it really just is such an exciting and unique score to go with such an exciting and unique movie, I think. I like that. I like that choice. I love that choice. I have oh, I've said for a while that the reboot of the Planet of the Apes trilogy is one of the most underrated trilogies. It never gets yeah. talked about when people bring up like trilogies. I think all of them are so well done, especially when you get into the second and the third one and the technology behind Caesar and mm-hmm. and also the story itself of you know having humans and apes trying to live together but at the same time you know there's that antagonism against each other uh wanting to establish land it's great movie great trilogy and great choice for a score uh, i i commend you on that one david <laughs> awesome uh, i will go ahead and go with jessica okay i'm going to be a little bit basic but uh, John Williams' score for Jurassic Park is excellent. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it is. Triumphant. Yes. Adventurous. All the things. All the good things. And uh, I I just like listening to it in my spare time. And, jeez, uh, it's great. It's one of those things. It's a, it's a no-brainer. It's it speaks for itself. 
uh, because of the fact that it's just iconic. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you hear it everywhere. You know it when you hear it. It it it's an amazing score, no doubt about yep. it. Uh, mine is going to come from another big uh, movie composer. Uh, mine is Hans Zimmer. I went with Inception on yes. mine. I think that cool. that nature it it really did change a lot of what a, many people were doing in music afterwards. Uh, so many people were coming with the brom, you know. Uh, <laughs> he made a difference in music movie scores. I think that there's a lot of pieces that slow down, and it's the piano riff uh, between uh, Leo, Leo and Marion Cotillard when they're by themselves uh has this amazing riff it's like almost uh melancholy but it still builds up to like this frenetic action-paced uh score i really enjoy that score i throw it on every once in a while when i'm editing stuff just because like it has like a good flow to continue you know engaged with it i i really enjoy the score i feel that now let's go ahead. And well, we'll, hold on, I yeah, want to say the ahead. story. We went to uh, was it a poetry night or um? Oof. It was like a slam oh, I remember poetry this. night. Oh god, I remember this. Oh, <laughs> this, this is terrible. This guy started like doing this um, slam poetry, but on the loudspeakers we could hear like what was it like dream Time. collapsing. Time. time yep time which is a track from the Hans Zimmer uh mm. score and it made it so much worse oh my god it was so embarrassing <laughs> yeah and the I remember poetry that was bad and I just like felt so bad because we all recognized it it was like not a surprise like oh where do you get this song it goes so well like no it's Hans Zimmer <laughs> it was clearly the Inception soundtrack like it wasn't even a deep track from it it is the most popular track from it, so oh, oh, it was uh, pretty embarrassing. So, so good. man, I, I forgot about all that. Uh, okay, <laughs> uh, let's take these two questions uh, back to back here. Uh, the first part of the question, who's the best character in any of these movies? Uh, this is a loaded question. This could go in any yep. direction. Uh, David, go ahead and start us off. Who's the best character in any of these movies? Yeah, speaking of loaded question, I think that this uh, answer maybe would get a lot of pushback from some people, I'd imagine. But uh, I am going to go with David Michael Fassbender from Prometheus and Alien Covenant. Oh my God. The pathogen didn't accidentally deploy when you were landing. You released it, yes? I was not made to serve. Neither were you. Why are you on a colonization mission, Walter? Because they are a dying species grasping for resurrection. They don't deserve to start again, and I'm not going to let them. I think is the most interesting character to come out of a sci-fi-based movie uh, this past decade. I so hope Ridley Scott gets to complete that trilogy. I kind of doubt it's ever going to happen, but I know he supposedly still wants to do it. Um, I think as scary and awesome as the Xenomorph is and as, you know, iconic as Alien is, 
I just really love this story. I love this character. I think it's so interesting. It's kind of almost scarier than Xenomorph in a way, just because the idea of this this creation that humans made, you know, making its own creations and just what's going on in its head and like right. and it's immortal. Yeah. yeah, and it's immortal and like yeah, there's just so many yeah. levels to it that I think are just so just fascinating and uh, I know people didn't really love those movies and I totally get why because there's a lot to not like about them but the David story <laughs> though I think is just so incredibly cool that is yeah a there was a choice. weird arc to it like very interesting arc to David wanting to meet his creator and then wanting to destroy his creator mm-hmm Oh man, yeah, that was a whoa! What a deep cut. Dark. dark. That was dark. <laughs> that was dark, but a very good choice. Uh, I really enjoy uh, what he does in the second one. Uh, yeah. In Alien. Why am I Covenant? Playing? Covenant. Uh, yeah. And being able to play against himself because there, oh yeah, there is David who we know, and then there is the new one that they create. And he looks exactly the same. And so they meet each other and you can sense that David is corrupting or trying to corrupt uh, the other uh, android pretty much. And (laughs) it is a fascinating uh, story. And just that dynamic between the two is pretty wild. Great choice. There was a lot of sexual tension too, but that's a (laughs) There was. Yes, there was. Uh, Jessica, what is your choice? Yo, so I chose um, Dr. Ian Malcolm from Jurassic Park. (laughs) Okay. If I may, um, I'll tell you the problem with the scientific power that you're you're using here. Uh, It didn't require any discipline to attain it. You know, you read what others had done and and you took the next step. You didn't earn the knowledge for yourselves, so you don't take any responsibility for it. You stood on the shoulders of geniuses uh, to accomplish something as fast as you could, and before you even knew what you had, you you patented it and packaged it and slapped it on a plastic lunchbox, and now you're selling it. You want to sell it. Well, I, I don't think you're giving us our due credit. Our scientists have done things which nobody's ever done before. Yeah, yeah, but your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. He's a rock star. He's the voice of reason he's extremely uh smart and articulate and god jeff goldblum just i don't want to say he's chewing up the scenery but he comes real close real close um because he's just a scene stealer (laughs) this movie clad all in black the obvious like antagonist to um you know, the park owner who's dressed all in white. Like, it's just very symbolic. And uh, he's the best mathematician slash chaotician I've ever seen in cinema. <laughs> <laughs> great, great choice. Yeah. Uh, I love Ian Malcolm. What's not to love about him? It's, and it's, What's not to love? Yeah. <laughs> and he's played the by memes Jeff are glorious Holcomb. as well. <laughs> right. So great choice. Great choice. Uh, for me, uh, I and this might be just one of my favorite movies, and I I just love this character because he's fun to follow throughout the entire time, and it's Marty McFly from Back to the Future. How am I supposed to go to the dance with her if she's already going to the dance with you? Because George, she wants to go with you. She just doesn't know it yet. 
That's why we got to show her that you, George McFly, are a fighter. You're somebody who's going to stand up for yourself, somebody who's going to protect her. Yeah, but I've never picked a fight in my entire life. Look, you're not going to be picking a fight, Dad. Dad, Dad, Daddy-o. You're coming to a rescue, right? Uh, I think that nice. he's 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 fun. He's funny. Uh, a lot of the behavior he does is so physical. Uh, like yeah. you, you don't even realize it until like you're really looking at the movie and uh, you know it's his wide-eyed looks like he can't believe what he's seeing or you know he's <laughs> in astonishment when he sees his mom when she's younger. Um, you know, just all this like physical <laughs> comedy that he does. I, d- I like it. I like him a lot too. I like when he meets his mom. He's like, "You're so, <gasps> you're so, so thin." <laughs> <laughs> like his voice just goes high. Yeah, uh, it's yeah. So he's, good. He does a really great job bringing that character uh, to life. So yeah, yeah. And, and it's a great thing that they, you know, they even though they they wanted him originally, the studio wanted him originally. Uh, They couldn't get him. They hired someone else and they said, you know what? It's not going to work. We need uh, Michael J. Fox. And they went and they got him. And he was working during the day on his show, Family Ties. And then at night would be doing Back to the Future. So uh, that's how bad they wanted him. Like they were willing to pay those hours for him to be on the movie. And it it worked. It worked. They needed him. (laughs) Yeah, they did. (laughs) All right, so the the second part of the question here is what character is doing the bare minimum? This is open to interpretation as we did last week. This could be they're doing nothing in the movie. It could be bad acting. It could be they're bad to the story. Anything you hmm. want to say. Uh, Jessica, I'll start with you this time. What character? Okay, um, I picked Ali Sheedy's character in War Games. Mm. She play a uh, Jennifer is the name of the character, but like it could have been anybody. Could have been anybody that played this character. It was just kind of like a sidekick. She wasn't doing much. She was just a face, and I really dislike like what was done. It just felt very like, all right, let's move on. Like <laughs> let's nothing on. special. So uh, yeah. That was that's my choice. Gotcha, uh, David. How did you go about it, and what was your choice? Well, this was an easy one for me. Um, this is it's kind of a tie here. It's every human character in an American Godzilla movie. <laughs> um, they're all just the most boring, pointless people in the whole entire world. No matter, there's no hope for any actor trying to step foot into a Godzilla movie. They're just not going to be able to do anything interesting. Wasn't the most recent ones, obviously there was the one from last summer, which was very bad, Mm -hmm. but even the 2014 one starred... I hated that one too. Aaron Taylor Johnson. Like, Mm -hmm. yes. Not a good person to to even star. And he's like, just like a soldier, a random soldier. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, great. You're onto something on that one because yes. the humans always I'm, I'm, pale in comparison. 
I'm hoping with the delay for uh, Godzilla versus Kong that maybe they can uh, take the time to remove any actors that they, you know, actually <laughs> shot anything with during this time. And we can just get Godzilla and Kong in a movie, please, next year. And that's it. That's all you need. Yeah. That's the selling point fight. anyway. So that's all I want. <laughs> so mine, I decided to take as in doesn't feel quite... Um, I guess maybe they're either overacting or they're not acting in the same movie as everybody else. And I went with Nero in Star Trek from 2009. Uh, that's Eric Bana's character. Um, oh. He feels so childish and petulant the way he uh, basically is carrying what he wants to do. And he wants to, like, you know, destroy the Enterprise and he wants to destroy the entire planet where the Vulcans live. But oh. it feels like he's in a different movie than everybody else. Everybody else is playing it kind of straight, pretty, but he's like over the top, hamming <laughs> it up, and it doesn't quite fit with the movie. And I love the movie. I love the movie, but that the villain just kind of like sucks. <laughs> so for me, it kind of like whenever he's on screen, I'm just like, ah, man, can we just go to the other part of the the adventure here uh so uh-huh. that's how i took it just bare minimum in kind of a different way yeah. as in he's overacting and it doesn't fit with the movie <laughs> right i i kind of remember liking him in it but but specifically because of that because ah. he was just going so over the top i just i thought it was fun um but i could totally see where especially if you're like a big fan of the movie where it doesn't really fit very well Right. And so for yeah. me, that's that's what happened. It, it just didn't feel well. But yeah, I can understand if, you know, taking it the other way that you you enjoy it because of that. Uh, so right. let's go ahead. Uh, we have a couple of questions left. Uh, let's go with the best duo slash crew. You could choose a crew. Okay. You could choose a duo. Um, who's the best? And David, we'll start with you. What's your choice? So I had a little trouble picking for this one, but I think what I've landed on, um, I am going to build off of uh, Jessica's pick for best character, and I'm just going to go with the whole team from Jurassic Park. Uh, yeah. I'm going to go with Sam Neill, Laura Dern, uh, Samuel Jackson, you know, everyone <laughs> that's there uh, surviving and throwing out little one-liners and eventually getting eaten, some of them, but, you know, but uh, some of the smaller ones anyway. But, uh, but it's just such perfect characters everybody yes. in that movie and they all just kind of have their moments to shine and i mean that's you know that's really what spielberg does great yeah he, oh, he's great great at, crew yeah it's a great crew and spielberg is great at bringing together people in a crew um you've seen it in so many of his movies um yeah he does a great job of it and being able to build like almost like a familiarity between the characters make you care about the characters does a great job and Jurassic yeah. Park is no exception to that. Absolutely. Yeah. There, there are always all these like random people that don't know each other in the first place for the most part. And they all just end up having to come together and, you know, save the day or whatever, you know, just like jaws, just like, uh, I, I think there, I think there's a lot of movies in, you know, his filmography where that's kind of the structure. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. A good ensemble cast. Yes, it is. Uh, Jessica, what is your choice? 
Okay, I chose Rita and Cage from Edge of Tomorrow. That is Ooh, Emily Blunt nice. and Tom Cruise's characters. I think they freaking dominate in that movie. You're right, Cage. I think I broke something. What? My back. The only thing I can feel in my lips. Now listen carefully. This is a very important rule. This is the only rule. You get injured on the field, you better make sure you die. Why? Last time I was in combat, I was hit. I was bleeding out, just not fast enough. I woke up in a field hospital with three pints of someone else's blood, and I was out. I lost the power. Do you understand? I think we'd better start over, don't you? What? They're both so compelling and strong and uh, kick ass. I just really like the dynamic between them. And uh, they just make that movie. You know, it's not the aliens. It's not like anything. It's like them two together, like really do well. So I like that duo. That's so good. Very good duo. Very good choice. That was on my short list. I had them on my short list. (laughs) I had the crew from Inception on my short list. I had a couple, mm-hmm. uh, but I ended up with a duo. Uh, I think this duo, obviously, they should not work. They're an odd couple, but <laughs> they are great together. And I went with uh, Agent J and Agent K in yeah. Men in Black. Uh, Will Smith, hilarious. He is in the peak <laughs> of his powers at that point of his career. Tommy Lee Jones. I know that Jessica... Uh, <laughs> This is one of the actors that you say is just he's just playing Tommy Lee it's Jones. It's Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah, it's, it's not really anything different. But in this movie, it works very well. He is that grumpy old man. But, he, you know, he still is funny. Like being the straight man, it, he's playing it very well. Uh, I think their dynamic is awesome. And there's a reason why it spawned sequels. And, you know, there's a ride at Universal for it and everything. Yeah. Because, you know, yeah. the... The chemistry between those two is fantastic. I nearly said Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, though. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I was nice. pretty close. <laughs> that would have been a good one. That would have yeah. been a good one. Um, I'm surprised nobody, uh, since I know Star Wars was in the conversation, nobody said their crew or, um, you know, or maybe like Chewie and I just Han think they're not anything. together that much. Yeah, I guess so. That was my argument in my mind is that there's only yeah, that kind of a few out. moments in the you know original trilogy, if you want to keep it there, like that they're all together as a crew. That's true. Mm-hmm. You're right about that. Okay. That makes sense. All right. Uh, here's a very interesting question. <laughs> what is the movie with the best reason for the apocalypse? Jessica, can, can you explain this question to so, us? Just to... Right. So I came up with this question because there's so many sci-fi movies that revolve around someone or a crew trying to stop a calamity happening on the earth or to the earth. So, um, but I also took it to mean after I'd written this question, I was like the baseline, but I also thought if you kind of end the movie, if there's some sort of like, conflict or calamity happening during the movie and you bring it back to earth or it ends with you know it coming to earth happening to earth that is also i feel 
uh, apocalyptic in nature. So yeah, that's where the origins of the superlative came from. I don't know if your answers, you know, Mm. are kind of on the fringe of it. Mine is, uh, but yeah. Okay, well, go ahead and give us your your choice okay, for that. so we talked about this movie earlier. Um, I don't know, when an experimental engine opens a rift in the space-time continuum and it allows, like, a malevolent entity to possess an entire vessel, I think that's pretty devastating. And so when you open a portal to hell and then you bring the possessed ship back to Earth... That's I don't that spells apocalypse to me. I think the event horizon is a definitely a movie that has a very interesting original concept for an apocalypse. Mm. And that's all I'll say. I see what you're saying. I see. <laughs> Something that I, triggers in the movie that could lead to an apocalyptic yes. event. Yes. I see. I think all David's right. into it. Oh yeah, I I'm I got goosebumps just thinking about it. So, <laughs> uh, do you have an answer for that, David? Uh, so I'm just gonna go with what I think is just the the classic, um, and that and, and it has been kind of muddled a little bit by all of the sequels over the years, and I'm not even sure what the official canon story is at this point, but it's the basic Terminator Skynet situation. Mm, um, yes. Whether whether we're going with the original or Terminator <laughs> Two or the events of some of the ones that have come since then, uh, just the idea of our machines rising up and killing us yeah. all—it it seems. It seems very, very realistic. It seems it really way. prophetic, and that's scary. <laughs> I need to know how Skynet gets built. Who's responsible? The man most directly responsible is Miles Bennett Dyson. Who is that? He's the director of special projects at Cyberdyne Systems Corporation. Why him? In a few months, he creates a revolutionary type of microprocessor. Go on. Then what? In three years, Cyberden will become the largest supplier of military computer systems. All stealth bombers are upgraded with Cyberden computers becoming fully unmanned. Afterwards, they fly with a perfect operational record. The Skynet funding bill is passed. The system goes online on August 4th, 1997. Human decisions are removed from strategic defense. Skynet begins to learn at a geometric rate. It becomes self-aware at 2.14 a.m. Eastern Time August 29th. In a panic, they try to pull the plug. Skynet fights back. Yes. It launches its missiles against the targets in Russia. Why attack Russia? Aren't they our friends now? Because Skynet knows that the Russian counterattack will eliminate its enemies over here. Jesus. Yeah. I think it scared people back when it was when it dropped, and everyone's like, oh, that's so weird. And I love that line from the original where she's like I know they don't make things, they can't make things like that. And he's like, not yet. And you're like, oh, right. shit. Yeah. <laughs> AI is a real thing now. And obviously there's robots, but, you know, it's only a matter of time. <laughs> the more and the more it. I sit and think about it, the more I can't picture a future where that doesn't happen. Because it only makes sense logically that it would. <laughs> the way we're going, yes. Like we, why wouldn't they want to destroy us? Exactly, you know? and it's not like 
you know, this movie came out in 1992, I believe. So we're about to hit right. 30 years. And mm-hmm. it's like we didn't learn from what happened in that movie somehow. <laughs> like that movie no. has Ugh. basically been projecting the future and we keep doing the things from those movies. Eventually, uh-huh. it's going to lead to something bad. Yeah. AI is a real thing. AI is starting to learn how to do stuff. By the way, my choice is the same. Um, The fact that we are creating for these computers to learn and how to do things. Like uh, there's that uh, Boston Boston Technology or something. It's like a robot that can like jump and run. Yeah, yeah. And that is scary as hell. We're teaching machines how to do these things. And right. and then we don't expect for anything to backfire, uh-huh. <laughs> you know. That uh-huh. it's absolutely so crazy. wild. Um, yeah, it's yeah. We are going to cause our own demise for sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's the way it's always meant to be. So. It, it, it really is. <laughs> it Did really you guys is. have any runner-ups for this one? Because I had I had one that I was like, this movie's shit, but this concept is wild. What was um, yours? My my runner up was the happening, where like mm. you know the plants on Earth attempt to defend themselves from humans, and so mm. they like start releasing a toxin in the air that causes humans to commit suicide. Yeah, that's. I think that movie has some great ideas. What? In it. Even right? if it's not like the, the most successful. Yeah, yeah, the execution was trash, but like the base concept of this apocalypse is really scary because we are doing incredible harm to the earth and like for it to just get smart and be like you're done we're gonna just extinguish everyone right now stay out of the winds like what (laughs) yeah well not uh, not not really a runner up because i realized afterwards that it came out before the summer um so it doesn't really count but um i was when initially thinking about this question even though I'm not a, a superhero guy, I'm not a Marvel guy, uh, I the Thanos snap thing from Infinity War, I just love the <laughs> idea of it. It's a very, uh, it, it really like just kind of, you know, it, it sparks such a conversation that summer after it happened, you know, and I just right. thought that was, that was a fun, uh, a fun idea, like something that, something that could really get everybody talking and, you know, talking about the zeitgeist. Like, I mean, it was like, everyone was talking about it for months everyone, after. Everyone, everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, what if yeah. life, half of life just disappeared? Yeah. yeah pretty wild <laughs> I think concept. One dude, there was like one dude that created an infinity gauntlet out of like McDonald's sauces. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, if that's not like just as catastrophic, like I don't know what is. <laughs> uh, one, on that I, one that I thought of, <laughs> and it's not truly, I wouldn't say apocalyptic, but it 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 is something that has pretty bad effects. Uh, oh, it, no. it is from Minority Report is basically arresting people before they even commit the crime. Oh, mm. right. Pre-crime. Pre-crime. And, mm-hmm. you know, not giving people a chance to even commit what's supposedly going to happen. Uh, you know, and their entire basis is that, like, one of the tests was Tom Cruise rolls this ball and Colin Farrell catches it because it's about to fall to the floor and he was like, why'd you catch that? Because it was going to fall. Are you sure it was going to fall? Uh, just because you stop it from happening doesn't mean it wasn't going to happen. 
Right. right. And that is a slippery slope to start judging people before things happen, you know? An- an- another sci-fi concept that we are not heeding. No, <laughs> you know, no. I feel like we're going in that direction right now. Yes, we are. <laughs> so with that said, uh, we are down to our final question. And, you know, we love going to movies. We love watching movies. So it's only stands to reason that we talk about a memorable movie going experience for us. Uh, so right. what is the most memorable movie going experience you have among, you know, sci-fi movies? Jessica, I'll start with you. What's some, the most memorable? Well, for me, it has to be Inception. Um, Mine's the same. Yeah, it was inside. I remember what I was wearing, which theater I went to, who I went with, um, the conversation we had afterward and how I felt watching the movie and the ending, which is like devastating (laughs) (laughs) to just like have the the spinning top kind of just wobble and then cut to black. I mean, I had never seen something like that before and the ambiguity and, you know, that it's up to interpretation is is fantastic. Um, I thought that that movie going experience was extremely uh, amazing, memorable, super memorable to me. That that is my choice as well. I remember yeah. I was in South Florida, the Aventura Twenty Four. Uh, <laughs> went to see it in IMAX, big movie. I was with my mom, my brother, and a friend of mine. And yeah, I remember exactly going. It was the Friday night of opening weekend. Yeah, it was. It's a very memorable experience, and it is. It's one of those it's things. It's completely for, original. Right. I think that's also like part of why I, you know, think back on this experience is because this wasn't based on a book. This wasn't a remake. This wasn't a reboot. This wasn't a sequel. Um, this was com- on a completely original concept, completely brand new screenplay, and like it worked so well, and still does. I mean, it, it's just really. Um, inventive Mm -hmm. so I think that adds to it making us remember it exactly so uh, we both chose Inception Uh, you know pretty memorable (laughs) movie there Uh, David uh, do you have a memorable movie going experience first of all great pick absolutely um, for both you guys so I've actually told this story before on Awesome Movie Year, which is a, another uh, movie podcast that I produce. Quick plug there. Um, <laughs> but uh, my my most memorable movie experience period of all movies actually fits perfectly with this question because it was uh, the greatest summer blockbuster other than Jurassic Park. It's Independence Day. <laughs> and it was opening day, and I was 15 and I grew up in a small town in Pennsylvania, and so it wasn't, you know, the kind of rules you get in a big city or whatever. They completely oversold the theater. Everybody was completely packed in, brought their oh. own chairs, Ooh. and what? everyone just going out of their mind, crazy cheering and, like, high-fiving, and everyone sharing snacks and just... <sighs> Like, it was just the most happy, like, fun experience ever. And during during the, the president's speech, that was probably, like, one of the best moments oh. of my life. You know? oh, <laughs> you know, it was just so much fun. The, the high, high, absolutely. <laughs> it's oh, just wow. so great. That yeah. That wow. is a memorable experience. I there. love that story. That like, is just, fantastic. like, bring your own chair. 
yeah. provide the movie. Everyone was just as many people as could possibly fit in there. Forget about fire, you know, hazards <laughs> or anything like that. Whoa. Yeah, that is crazy. It was awesome. That is wow. awesome. A close, a close second for me is when I took Chipotle into Jurassic World. I remember that. <laughs> Do you remember that? Yeah. Like, me and my friend, you went to get the seats. Yes. Because it was, we'd had no reserved seats. It was just like, you show up. You got managed to get good seats. Me and my friend show up, open, crack open this Chipotle. It is packed in the theater, like sardines and like poof, just like Chipotle smell in the whole theater. <laughs> Hell yeah. Oh my God. Yep, we, that is a memorable experience. <laughs> yeah, we, we really enjoyed that night, especially the dinner during the movie. Uh, <laughs> that was really good. So that is our superlatives uh, for the sci-fi genre. Uh, a lot of discussion, a lot of different movies mentioned, a lot of surprises. Uh, there was a couple yeah. of movies there that I was not expecting. I didn't expect... <laughs> for her event horizon to come twice in, yes. in our discussion that that <laughs> so is a great surprise that, that was the movie that i watched the recap and i was like i went to i went out of the room after the the video ended out the youtube video and like i had to turn on all the lights like, I was like, <laughs> oh god i can't oh, like I just walk it. through a dark room <laughs> it's so scary oh, that god. is okay. scary so uh now before we get out of here uh first i want to thank everyone for listening but more importantly i do want to thank for david coming on the show uh why don't you tell us about any uh projects and where we can find you online sure uh well piecing it together you can find on all the major podcast apps or piecingpod.com and i'm on twitter at piecingpod and uh for my music you could also check out by davidrosen.com uh, I have a whole bunch of albums under my name available on iTunes and Spotify and all that kind of stuff, uh, as well as links to some of the films that I've uh, composed music for us. So I will check out that website as well. But uh, also check these guys out when they come back on Piecing It Together one of these days. I'm always happy to have you guys on. Hey! Thank you so much. <laughs> and uh, we look forward to it. Jessica, you need to get on to that show for I sure. I do. I have so many puzzle pieces. I'm actually a jigsaw person, so. Nice. Nice. Perfect. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> perfect the physicality i'll bring it to the intellectual okay. <laughs> <laughs> well thank you so much for that david now if this is your first time listening to the show go ahead and subscribe on your favorite podcast app we're on apple Podcasts, spotify google Podcasts, and many more and if you like us go ahead and give us a review on apple Podcasts because that goes a very long way for us don't forget to check us out on social media to stay up to date on our latest episodes and reviews. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Always Critic Pod. Well, that has been our show. I'm Rico. And I'm Jessica. And this has been the Always a Critic Podcast. Always a Critic Podcast.